Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is an absolute legend of WA football. He has the uh, fairly unique distinction of being uh, a captain, a coach uh, and a board member of the Fremantle Dockers. Uh, he's a two-time Waffle Premiership player. Uh, twice an All-Australian, captain of Fremantle, as I mentioned, uh, Simpson medalist and also AFL Premiership player as well. Uh, the accolades go on and on and on. Uh, and, of course, uh, the best on ground uh, in the Eagles v Dockers uh, Derby uh, gets a medal that bears his name. Of course, I'm talking about Ben Allen, and he is our guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Ben, how are you? I'm very well, Tim. Thanks for the invite. They're getting few and far between now, so you've got to <laughs> make the most think, of them. Absolutely, you've got to well, wrap them up. Happy to have you. Um, <laughs> firstly, what's it like having your name on the medal for the best um, on ground in a derby? Look, it's it's uh, look, it's a great uh, a great honour. Yeah. I, I guess when it was all, it, it came. About it was more about getting a Fremantle person on there. So there was a bit of hoo ha, wasn't there? There was a bit of hoo ha, and look, we've all got so much admiration for for Ross, mm. and uh, he was a, an idol of mine. Don't want him to sound too old, but an idol of mine when I was growing up. Um, and but it was all about sort of having that equal sort of uh, you know on the podium on that medal for free. So I didn't care if it was Dale Kickett or Troy Cook or Matthew Pavlich, as long as someone. Uh, from Frio got on there, um, and I guess there is some nice synergies there with the yeah. the two inaugural captains. So I think, um, yeah, take the person, my personal, it was a, a good result in the end. Yeah, and it, and it's all died down now, hasn't it? Everyone's fairly well used to the the the, the two names on the medal. I think so. I think I've I've heard Paul Hazelby announced as four time <laughs> Alan Glendening medalist, even though he only won the Glendening medal, but. I'm not going to ring up any radio station and say that well, wasn't quite correct. I just saw him buzzing around out the window here a moment ago. So he's probably just coming to remind you. Uh, okay. Okay. So, no, it was good. Um, I think I've awarded two medals, one to Brad Shepard, who's got some yep. Fremantle background and unfortunately he's retired, of course, um, but a great young lad. And uh, it was great giving Caleb Sarong the, the medal uh, yeah. recently. Yeah. And here we are, Derby Week again. Um, I won't ask you for your, your thoughts too much on this season because it's such early days. But let's go back to your uh, early days. D- tell us where you grew up. I know you've got strong South Fremantle connections uh, in the family, but tell us, um, you know, at what point footy became a, a really big part of your childhood? Well, I guess I was like every young West Australian lad or, and Perth lad. You could you sort of threw yourself into everything and footy was definitely part of it. But mm. um, it was more cut and dry in terms of winter and summer in those days. So it was a... It was surf life-saving and, and swimming and water polo in the, in the summer and, 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 of course, more footy in the in the winter. But I was really interested when I was, yeah, really quite young. My grandfather was uh, vice president of South 
South Fremantle in the 70s. So probably the first Waffle Grand Final I went to was uh, for all the South Fremantle supporters. I'm sorry for bringing it up. It was 75 and <laughs> and uh, West Perth absolutely slaughtered South. So it was a yeah, it was a, not a great uh, car ride home. But yeah, followed South really early days and growing up in Claremont. So we watched lots of South early days with you know Benny Vigona and Stephen Michael and Morris Rioli, all those great great players. And I must admit, when I was starting to get into development teams for Claremont in the 16s and you go up into the Colts and then you're thinking about maybe playing league. I was thinking it's going to be a bit difficult barracking for South and playing for Claremont at the yeah, same time. Yeah. So you had to make that change. Who, who was the player for you that you tried to emulate? You know, when you're running around with your mates on the oval and you're trying to snap or you kick a goal like someone or take a grab like someone, who was the player that you most tried to copy? I think if you boil it down to one, I'd say Morris Rioli. Yeah. Just because he played really well in the big games. Uh, won Norm Smith medals, did well on grand finals. Uh, South were obviously a powerhouse in the in the early eighties, um, and just his his skill and a, and I guess real team play, and his ability to kick down the throat of the full forwards that he was mm. playing alongside. So, and then when I was watching, um, you know, Claremont had some great early eighty sides as well. You know, Steve Malaxis was passing to Warren Ralph and. Um, you know, you had the, the Cracker Boys playing, Wayne Blackwell in those early 80s for Claremont. So a, a lot of them did. And I probably followed, like a lot of West Australian uh, guys and girls did, the West Australians that went to the VFL yep. and didn't necessarily have a team that I followed, but followed all those all those great players that went across. Yep. Uh, Aquinas College is where you went to, to complete your secondary schooling. Yes. Pretty strong football heritage there at Aquinas was, did you kind of feel like you were heading towards elite level at, at that age? Um, yes, yes and no. I was sort of that you know, I was part of the old Till Cup squad and I think mm. it was the last player's cut in that, uh, 85 Till Cup team that went on to win. And that was the great, um, you know, had a, some absolute champions in, in that side with Peter Sulmich and, um, Scotty Waters, uh, Guy McKenna, all those sort of guys that went on to do, do great things. Yep. That probably steeled me a little bit and, and ruffled my feathers a little bit that um, that even though I was playing pretty well at, at school and, and the development, that I didn't get, get that go. Um, but probably didn't really think that I was going to have a real crack at it until a couple of years later when I was mm. given league opportunities at Claremont. Yeah. Did I hear right that you grew up next to... Terry Gale as well. They were he in, was, yes, yeah. a neighbour of yours. They were, he, yeah, they were. So we're all good, uh, you know, great friends with yeah. the, with the Gale boys. Um, and you used to caddy for I, Terry, is that right? Yeah, we did. So again, a, one of those things. It, it's just a, a fate of uh, of luck. So um, obviously, golf's a completely different sport to sport to footy, and really got to control your emotions. But I was lucky enough to caddy. In WAPGA with Terry, um, probably because his lads were still at school. So I was yeah. a couple of years older. So, so how, how old are you at this point? Uh, probably 18 and 19. Yeah, right. And then I went when he was playing Australian Masters at Huntingdale when I was in Melbourne. Um, it was interesting conversations to have to Alan Joyce and Alan Jeans that I wanted to miss Thursdays and Fridays training and perhaps Saturdays uh, practice game because I was Cadding at the Australian Masters. In a golf tournament. <laughs> yeah. So it was a big thing. Golf, Australian golf was massive then. And what, what yeah. I learned from from Terry then was, um, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he was an unbelievable uh, prep, uh, preparer of, mm. uh, of his game. And uh, it was more like, 
he when he had a bad day, a bad day for a non-professional golfer or someone not as good, you know, you're shooting mm. 79, 81 and sort of missing the cut, but he would have a bad day and limp in it in his sort of words at 73 and still remain. So I tried to take that into my, into my footy and, you know, you, you're not mm. always going to have the best day out there, but you still got to have a level of performance and assist the team. So your bad days, you've got to kind of have your 18 disposals and yeah. maybe maybe a shot at goal or, or two. Um, and when you when it's your day, you can cash in. Yeah. Did you love golf as a kid, or how, I did, did, how did that end up being? Yeah, well, I played. I played more rounds of with uh, Terry Gale than I think any apart from one of his old mates, John McCormack a great South Fremantle man, um, that I think anyone. So yeah, right. Yeah, that was, he was hugely influential in, uh, even though it was a completely different sport in, in how I went about it. Yeah. There you go. Um, Claremont, obviously it was a natural progression. You lived in Claremont. You were playing, you know, through your teenage years, uh, in various uh, squads there at, at Claremont, but you arrived there at, at a pretty good time for the club. Yeah. In terms of the league level. Yeah. Well, it was 87 was my first, I played a year mm. of Colts. Um, I didn't play in the grand final, had a few injuries at the end, but they, 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 we won. Um, and then graduated into the league squad, I guess. But, and Jared Neeson had just been appointed. The West Coast Eagles had just come in. So the grand, you know, there was 35 players and I, it's a ridiculously low number of players to be awarded to an AFL squad, but that's what happened when they first started. So there's a bit of talent went out of the waffle. Mm. Um, so there was a few opportunities to, for, for younger guys. And I guess when Jared uh, came in, um, I knew him again, another influential person before I got into footy through water polo. I was playing A grade water polo with him when I was sort of 17, 18. He was my under twenties state water polo coach as well. Um, so, yeah, he. I guess there was an interest in from from mm. him naturally, but you certainly had to prove your worth to get in there, and yeah, just lucky enough to get some opportunities to to get a game amongst the absolute again legends. Yeah. Um. Again, Guy McKenna was in there. Don Pike was in there. Warren Ralph was full forward, and we had some hardened sort of guys that had come from the VFL, like Stephen Golding and and Peter Thorne. John Scott was a a stalwart of the waffle. Yeah. Peter Molesso was it? There was so many, the O'Connell yeah. lads. Um, it was just a great team. And so I got, I played a few reserves games, probably came in at round five or six, played probably 15 games with a few games, uh, missed injuries, probably 15 or 16. I can't remember. But at the end of that season, we Clermont won the grand final quite comfortably. And I hadn't played in one losing league team. So nothing to do with me. You, you talk about luck. That that was it. You just happened to live in the Claremont zone, happened to rock up at that 87 time and happened to, to sneak into the team amongst such a great. Yeah. Um, the golden know, generation. Yeah. And yeah. You, you end at the, get to the end of the year, haven't played one look, you think how easy it is. You're a good luck charm, if nothing <laughs> else. <laughs> and a couple of years later, you make the uh, the big step two to head over east, which is where we might leave it just for the moment. Let's take a break uh, and come back uh, with the next chapter in your story, of course, getting drafted uh, to the mighty Hawks uh, in the late 80s. This is Inspiring Stories. Ben Allen is our special guest. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories and in Derby Week in the AFL. Who better to speak to than Ben Allen? Uh, Ben, 
you mentioned a stellar time at uh, at, at Claremont and a, and a time there of, of great success. You a two-time Waffle Premiership player. Um, but you talk about, you know, good times to move to a club. I mean, you moved to Hawthorne uh, at a time when, I mean, just the, you go through the list. It's mm. just superstars from, from back to front, isn't it? I mean, we'll, we'll reel a few off, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Jason Dunsell, Dermot Brereton, Michael Tuck, yep. John Platten, the list goes on. It's it's a phenomenal well, they had period a, for the Hawks. A scary period of success. I think they yeah. played in eight grand finals in a row. Yeah. So all those players, um, yeah, just incredible. They're, they're all not just Hawthorne champions. They're sort of AFL mm. Hall of Famers. Basically, Chris Langford, another one. Yep. Yeah. It, it goes on. Gary Go, Ayres. Goes on forever. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a scary team. How did you come to be on, on Hawthorne's radar? So it's nine, It's the end of 89? Yep. yep. Yeah. So you, played, you must be, what, 20? Yeah, 20, just turned 21, yeah. Um, it was interesting because I spoke to a few clubs over yep. those three years that I was at Claremont, and Alan Jeans was actually – I spoke to all the recruiters. They're all fantastic and, um, you know, were interested in going to anywhere I could really. But when Alan Jeans gets on the blower, and this mm. wasn't the mobile phone, this is so the old phone you, on the wall. he's personally called you? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mum uh, says, Alan Jeans is on the phone. <laughs> you're thinking, you know. You go, Which you, of my mates is winding ex- me up? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know, unrecognisable voice. Um, and he said, look, we're really, we're really keen. And um, we've been following you for a while. And I said, look, I'm, you know, your pick's number 14. Do you think I'll, I'll sort of get through? And he sort of said, well, you know, we'll we'll get you if you're there. So yeah. it was very daunting going into a into a club that had played eight grand finals in a row, and then not only that, they'd just gone back to back. So mm. I'm saying to him, "Well, I played centre at Claremont, bit of half forward, I suppose. You know, who am I going to kick out?" And he goes, "Oh, don't worry about that, Sonny. We think, you know, we we think you you can play, and you, that'll sort of work itself out as mm. long as you you understand and learn the Hawthorne way." And I understand you got there a little bit later than. You ideally would have, in hindsight, you know, ahead of the the nineteen ninety season, you know, you you ideally have got there months before, put in a solid mm. preseason, get to know your teammates and how the club works. But um, that wasn't the case for you. It was uh, much closer to the season yeah. opening. What why was that? I I don't know. Don't know. No, I don't know. I think. I mean, I, I look at it now and I think it was just ridiculously yeah. uh, silly on on our behalf. But I guess I I'd been ingrained to be. Pl- I was still playing water polo during the summer. Really? Before yeah. you went to Hawthorne? Yeah, basically in between. <laughs> so I really hadn't done an actual proper football pre-season because, you know, I had a coach that was aligned with with uh, with water polo. Jared actually played for Australia. So it wasn't yeah. like a, you know, just a, a hack. He, he could actually play. So he understood the, you know, the benefits of physically preparing that way. He said to me, it's going to take your legs two or three weeks to sort of adjust and, and then you'll be fine. But there is another running level. I mean, Hawthorne are playing at Princess Park and Waverley. Waverley's the biggest ground in the history of, of football. So you need to have your running legs on there. Um, so it, it, it took a while to sort of get my fitness level up and understand the real, um, uh, you know, physical mm. elements that you, that I had to get to, to, I guess, to be able to play to play midfield. Yeah. Um, when you were uh, there in your early days, I understand you were partnered up with <laughs> the great champion, Michael Tucky. Tuck. Yes. Um, for all of your, you know, your warm-ups and just running. Yep. Um, what was that like? He seems, I mean, a natural leader, but quite a, a quiet character as well. He honestly didn't say anything, Tim. It was quite, um, well, in actual fact, before that, I was lined, I, I was aligned with a guy called Russell Green. Yeah. And Russell Green was a real kind of hard man. He just retired. 
and he was helping out the under-19s and he was actually training. And he was the one that was picked by Alan Jeans to, to, for me to run alongside. And that meant mm. I was with him in every drill because they were trying to get me, one of only four recruits going in, coming into a club that had just gone back to back. Mm. And Jeansy thought, well, if we get these four up to up to the level, um, you know, we've got a chance to, to pick one of these four sort of draftees mm. uh, in, the main, in the main team. Russell Green played 150 games for St Kilda and 150 games for Hawthorne. He was a running machine. And thank goodness, <laughs> after the, I think the second session, I'd go home and sort of lie, go, go to bed, seriously, yeah. Yeah. have something to eat and go to bed. I was abs- so exhausted. And he um, he ripped his Achilles. Bar- his Achilles. So wow. I know we all cringe and you're cringing when, when I say that. But it was. I was thinking, you little ripper. I don't have to run around with that lunatic <laughs> for the lines. next eight weeks. But I rock up on. That was a Tuesday. I rock up on the Thursday, and Alan Jean says, uh, "Sorry, we haven't got our, uh, Russell Green now, but you've got Michael Tuck." Yeah. So Michael Tuck again, a running machine. God knows how many times he was thirty-eight when he retired in ninety-one. Um, but how many times he'd run around that little Glenferry Oval in 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 his career? But he was. He just said. Just follow me and we'll work out how we go. He said, G'day, when I arrived at training, see you later yeah. when, I, when I left. But it, So he didn't say anything in terms of encouraging really or anything, but I learnt more from running around following him in that 10-week block than I did through any other 10-week mm. block. Mm. And it was all just from trying to copy, imitate, um, you know, no one have a bit of a relax, but understand we're here for hard work and it's serious stuff. Um, understand if you make a mistake, anyone makes a mistake at training, you're not going to make another one again. Or if someone makes a mistake to you, you fix it up. There's all these little things that add up to add up to a lot. So yep. it was just interesting. He wasn't that yeah that sort of taskmaster in terms of rallying the troops. It was like you know what your job is. We're all we're all here to train hard. Let's yep. do it and uh, nick off after that. Just led by example. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as good as the waffle was and, and Claremont was um, in that period that you were there, how did you find the step up going from waffle, not just to the VFL, but going to one of the the absolute prestige powerhouse clubs that was in the period of an extraordinary uh, success uh, as it was there at Hawthorne? Yeah. What so was the step up like? The step up, it was just more intense everywhere. So mm. if you're kicking to Dunstall, you're kicking to Burton, you want yeah. to put it on their chest. And you had a reputation for being, you know, someone who had a great kick on and and you're you're aiming for some some fairly big players. Yeah. And dare I say big egos. You don't as well. want to miss. Yeah, you no. don't want to miss. When they got five yards on, you know, or yeah. Danny Frawley or whatever running after Jason Dunstall, you you want to miss. So there was that real pressure at training, yeah. even to hit your targets. Yeah. Because it And did they let you know if you uh, fell they, short? They kinda didn't Need to. It was just it, a look. It was just a look, or a grunt, or a you know a snide remark, or a you know, maybe a swear word occasionally. But yeah. But I felt for that whole preseason as well that Alan Jeans, all he was doing was watching me. Yeah. Because remember when I, I mentioned he he his under his belief was he's got obviously a back to back premiership team. He's got four new guys at the club. He's got to get the four up to the level. Probably two or two of them were probably reserves players and maybe development players. So it was really up to one or two. So every training session, he was mm. looking at me one on one, yelling. It was like I, I, he was coaching me one on one, even though there was thirty five out on the track. It became a bit of a joke amongst the players because oh, they were saying, "Oh, the old bloke's having a go at the new <laughs> the, the new young fellow." You know, um, what does he expect? So, you know, sometimes when you want to, you walk rock up to work or you want rock up to training, you just don't 
feel it and yep. you want to have a, a lazy day or a just hide in the corner and sort of get through, yep. there was none of that. Yep. It was every, from, you know, 5 till 7 o'clock at night. It was, it was full on. So that full was mm-hmm. part of the reason why I'd go home and collapse. So the big thing for me was getting my body and my running ability, ability up. Yep. Um, I thought I had the, the skill level. I thought I could read the play. But in terms of the, the amount of running and the intense running that uh, that had to be done, I mean, I was a good burst runner, I guess, but I had to build that fitness. So that mm. was the, the whole thing for me and the whole focus um, from when I walked in the door. Yeah. Uh, 1991, uh, amazing year, not only your premiership year at Hawthorne, but also uh, best and fairest uh, at the club as well. Was that your your best year of footy? Compared, I know you were All-Australian in uh, a couple of years after that. But did you play your best footy, do you think, in 1991? Uh, I probably played my best, I think, in 93 or 94, I think. Um, I guess 91, I was I was given specific roles coming into the team and I started as being a, a bit of a run-with player and playing on great players like Greg Williams, uh, Gary Hocking, um, you know, all these great players, Mark Bairstow, mm. and sort of getting a play to play alongside each week. By the time that the year had sort of... Uh, worked itself out. I was going from the you know that tagger to getting tagged. picked off yeah, yeah. by the opposition in the end. So that was a good transformation. It's, it, I mean that's a compliment. Yeah, w- in such a short space of time. And I never, but I guess the thing was I never felt like it was me against Gary Hocking because it was it was everyone knew that I was isolated on that player and was you know expected to to try and quell them. Robert Harvey's another one. They're obviously fantastic and brilliant players. But I thought it was 17 onto these players. So I'd get mm. caught out of position and Andy Collins would pick him up or Darren Pritchard would shut them down or Darren Jarman would, would do something just to, to, to help me out. So Pretty handy guy to call on. To. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all, the they, all, they all were. They all were. You know, Andy Gow. There were so many great, great yeah. players. And even though they were individually brilliant players, and you're right, some of them had egos. We all have egos, some more than others. But they were very much team orientated. Yeah. And if that... If that wasn't the case, um, they wouldn't be playing. I yeah. mean, the the greatest player in the history of of AF you know of AFL is probably Gary Ablett Senior. And look, if you ask my kids, they'd say Gary Ablett Junior is a lot better. But we have kind of had that argument. Maybe our gener- my generation say Senior, and he was let go from Hawthorne. People kind of forget this yeah. after six games in one year because he wasn't considered a team player. And you, you think about that now, you think, how can how can that happen? Yeah. And yet in that time, Hawthorne played in, you know, eight grand finals in a row, winning five or four or five or six, whatever it was, and Geelong didn't win any. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it, it was much as the, you know, they were picking for character, they were picking for talent, but if you had one without the other, you, you wouldn't last too long. Um, we're going to take another break. After that, we'll get you to talk us through the 1991 uh, grand final. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Eagles... First, yes, um, not not a, a day of victory or success, uh, which will be um, a sore point for Eagles fans who are listening to this. But we'll get into <laughs> it in detail anyway, right after we take another break. Ben Allen is our special guest, back with more of his inspiring story in just a moment. You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Number 15, Ben Allen. That is Ben Allen, by the way. 
There you go. Um, it was a, an extraordinary moment, I suppose, just for you personally. Um, but, I, you know, it, it's a classic quiz night question, isn't it? Who's the first person to receive a, an AFL premiership medal uh, in an Eagles jumper? Yeah. You might be thinking, well, 1992, then go in order of the jumpers. Number Brett one, Hedy. Brett Hedy. Yeah. But you'd be wrong, of course. It was <laughs> Ben Allen, Hawthorne player. Yeah. Uh, but wearing an Eagles jumper to get your medal. Um, firstly, let's go through the day, though. I mean... How special was the day? How clearly do you remember it? Grand final day, 1991. Relatively clear. I probably remember the week leading up. And yeah. I think not that, in you know, in hindsight, people have said it was made a really big thing from the Eagles' point of view. It was a big huge. grand final. Huge, obviously. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, because, as I said, Hawthorne had done it so many times before. Yeah. It was a normal Tuesday. Here we go again. It was yeah. a normal <laughs> Tuesday. Tra- the the trainers got the sausages out at the end and we all have a, you know, a, um, a sausage and a barn Thursday was exactly the same. There's obviously more people, more media. You know, Tucky was doing interviews. Gary Ez was doing interviews. It was it was just business as usual. So trained at the same venue. We were playing at Waverley, of course, which was mm. our home, Hawthorne's home ground, which, you know, in hindsight, it's a massive advantage because, mm. um, again, it just helped with the um, familiarity with, with the week. We played every Saturday afternoon game basically at, at Waverley. So... So it was fine. So in terms of the week, that was just that was just normal, um, and it wasn't really anything bigger for me from a West Coast point of view. Even though, you know, I was from WA because they were just another team for me. Mentioned before that I grew up following uh, WA lads that were playing in the VFL without necessarily having a team. So I wasn't barracking for West Coast when I was I was younger because they didn't exist. Yeah, I think nowadays it's a little bit different. And yep. in act, actual fact, when I went to Fremantle when th- those derbies started. 95, it, I didn't realise, I should have as a captain, that these guys grew up idolising, um, you know, Craig Callahan and all these young guys that I, I played with grew up uh, idolising the West Coast Eagles. But in my mm. case, it, it didn't didn't happen. Um, the, the jumper change occurred because Pikey and I were mates from when yeah. we were 8, 9, 10 years old. We played yeah. at Dalkeith Nettie's Junior Footy Club. And a couple of feisty moments that day too, weren't there? Uh, yeah, un- not unlike I mean, him Grant's to throw out a couple of yeah. moments. But. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I think I threw one stupidly at one point, gave him a free kick, and <laughs> he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. Let's just forget about it and move on. Um, but no, we've, we've been good mates for yeah, a long time. So it was, a, I guess, recognition from both of us that what we'd, we, you know, that we'd known each other forever. And I don't think – it's a long time ago. We, I mean, we all watched the – the grand finals growing up, you see Jezelenko holding a, a you know the premiership uh, cup with a Collingwood jumper on, but yeah. it, it, I don't think it's happened since. No, no, it's like the teams are, are kept very separate after the siren, isn't it? I mean, maybe that's by their choice, but um, obviously you had a personal connection with Don Pike. But, yeah. Um, no, you don't. You don't see it, do you? you yeah. I mean, the same with um, soccer teams as well. It used to be a real thing. Yeah, that yeah. They'd swap World Cups shirts, and that sort of thing. Swap shirts, but um, no. Maybe you were the last of your I think I was the last. That's, a, that's another trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I suppose that, you know, this is a yes or no question, but have you got the jumper back? Uh, I have. I'm th- pretty sure it's in the Hawthorne Museum, Yeah, which is pretty crowded, mind you. Yeah. They, um, uh, yeah, they've got a great setup at, at Waverley with all the, you know, a lot of memorabilia there. And as, yeah, as you know, there's lots of uh, things that they can hone in on. So it's uh, it's sitting over there. So, so Pikey had had it this whole time? Yeah, we only and, got and it. What, what had he done with it? Oh, I think it was Just like all that sort of stuff. Drawer. It was in a, yeah, it was on his dog or no, I don't know. <laughs> it was, he'd looked after it. He in, uh, no, he looked after yeah. it. But, Washed um, it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, it was all good. But, but did you, you know, still have his? Yeah, so we swapped it back. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I, you know, it's like all those things. You don't want them tucked away in a storage unit somewhere out the back of the garage. It's rather, if they're on display at, at Hawthorne or you know uh, somewhere else, I think there's a Docker's jumper at, at Optus uh, yeah. sitting around somewhere. I th- I'd rather them out there than. Um, it's funny, all the, uh, the the old Docker's stuff. Um, it's actually hugely popular with all the young kids. Yeah, and. They, a couple of my young lads have said to me, "Where's all your Docker stuff? You know, can I? You got the old retro tracksuit and you yeah. know, all these fantastic." And I said, "Mate, I, I gave it all away. I gave it to the junior footy team I was coaching. They, they said they, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> said, you know how valuable all these Docker's tracksuits and jumpers are?'" Yeah. I said, "Well, mate, especially when you're the inaugural <laughs> captain of the club, that's a that's a real collector's <laughs> item." But I did say you didn't exist when I gave them away. Yeah. So I'm sorry. That's in your defence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How sad too that you've become retro to the to the kids. I know it's scary. <laughs> uh, it's scary. Um, I mean, that day though, every kid dreams of it, playing footy. You know, getting the medal put around your neck. Mm. Um, you were still a fairly young man at that stage too, weren't you? What twenty two, three? Yeah, quite at that young. Point? Yeah. Um, in hindsight, of course, it was the only time you'd get that that premiership medal. Um, is that the highlight? individual highlight of your career or do you kind of rate the All-Australian inclusions as higher or the honour of being the the Dockers' first captain? I mean, where does it all sort of sit in your mind? Look, they're all... Um, yeah. Hall of Fame, of course, they're as well. They're all pinch. Induction yeah. into the WA Yeah, I think the Hall of Fame, Fame it's like a yeah. pinch, you know, your moment. You just can't believe that it's happened. I think you're probably a year ago at the time thinking 91 that this is going to be the last one given the Hawthorne success yeah. is going to... You know, going to play finals and hopefully grand finals, but they're just so they are so so rare. I think if you dig deep down as to what I'm most proud about of my career, I'd probably say playing 120 games on the trot, mm. because that actually encompasses five and a half years of full commitment, playing with injury, playing under duress. Um, there's a lot of luck involved as well, but but by you know st- from the start of '91 till you know, round six or seven, 96, where I did hit a brick wall after that, mm. that was probably my, yeah, my my proudest moment given I yep. knew the, the commitment that I had to get into getting that five years, you know, without missing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your, your move back home to the West uh, to be a part of this new team called the Fremantle Dockers. Um, when did the conversations first start? Obviously there was talk about a, a new team. Yeah. Um, as much as some in the AFL and the Victorian establishment didn't necessarily want it. <laughs> no. Rio Dockers came about. Well, I when think did, they When wanted... did that conversation start with you? Yeah, probably in reality when, you know, I mean, I had conversations with Jared halfway through that, that season and he was fully understanding that, you know, I, uh, you know, wasn't sort of be not focused on doing the best I could with it, with the team, but really as basically I walked in the, into, into the house when Hawthorne um, lost that last game. In actual fact, we we played Carlton and we thought we were still in the finals and then a lower-ranked team actually beat the high-ranked team, so we effectively got uh, eliminated. So Jared was on the phone pretty quickly after that mm. and then um, they didn't muck around. You know, here's the deal. I knew it was a one-off opportunity to come home for a start and but also to be involved in the start of a new club. I knew it would never, never happen again. I thought I had three good years mm. left left in me. I knew with my um, with my maintenance of my, my knees that I wasn't going to be a David Mundy and play till he's <laughs> or, or Michael Tuck, that it was going to be a relatively short, but I still thought I had three and hopefully more after that. So 
it was, uh, that, that was part of the reason. And, and given the fact that it was Fremantle, what we talked about before, given my sort of relationships, uh, family relationships, Bear, there was a strong uh, strong pull. But, um, yeah, no, we decided to come back just because it yeah. was a one-off. How bad were your knees when you came back here? Uh, the, the, honestly, they were good because I was on that run of, you know, yeah. 100 games on the trot then. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of a slow progression. 95, the first year I got through okay. And that 95 year, I think, talking about the career, I think I was most proud of that team, that 95 inaugural Dockers squad of what they achieved, given it was a, a bunch of guys from basically the Waffle as well as some experienced guys that were hugely influential, Scotty Waters and Peter Mann and Steve O'Reilly, Spider Burton. Those guys mm. were just fantastic to assist the Johnny Hutton, assist the, the squad. But to win seven games in that first year with basically no names was an incredible, um, incredible effort. Mm. Um, so I was playing okay and getting through okay then. I probably wasn't doing the the massive training that I wanted to do that, you know, I could do in the early nineties, but, um, it was kind of, yeah, a quarter of the way through 96, I started to have some problems, yep. but then to have, so just to finish that Frio, just how passionate, cause we talked about Hawthorne quite a bit, but when seven sort of eight and 10 games in those first three years, I think was a, a massive sort of, uh, yeah, it just showed that the club was put on big achievement. Yeah, yep. when you, especially when you compare it to Gold Coast and GWS. I was going to say, yeah. And in hindsight, the deal that Frio got to enter the comp compared to, especially the likes of GWS. Yeah, does it still make you angry? It. it I'm not sure if it's angry because I guess it's a long time ago. The but you think the lift. It was. You can see they were, you know, Victorians or the AFL. Yeah, wanted another team, but they didn't want them to succeed. It was as simple as that. Yeah. Just the the rules that were in play were just um, extraordinarily difficult. And West Coast was the same. I mentioned before, they had 35 players on their list. I mean, imagine if they've got 45 on there now and they can't field a team, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, It was. You know, I guess it was the sign of the times. It was, mm. There was other factors at play that, um, you know, money involved and getting teams in the Gold Coast and, and GWS just for TV rights was obviously a huge part of it and having an extra one in, in Perth at the time wasn't that, that big. Yeah, all made sense to some at the time anyway. <laughs> um, let's take another break. After that, we'll get into uh, the final uh, stages of your Fremantle playing career, uh, coaching and what you've been up to since. This is uh, Inspiring Stories. Ben Allen is our special guest. Back with more after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Ben Allen. Uh, in Derby Week, of course. Who better to have a chat to? Um, ben, the end of your days uh, playing, at least, for Fremantle, was it a, I, I know it's, you know, you're only, what, 28 mm. when, you, when you're wrapped up. Um, obviously, the body sort of guided that one. Uh, was it hard to let go, though? Uh, it Probably not as hard as you think, because I knew it was, it, was, it was coming, and the, yeah. I knew how much work and rehab I was doing to just get up and train and play. So Were you just, in a lot of, a lot of pain playing in the, every week? In the end, I was. My, yeah. you know, I was blowing up in, in, in the knees and, you know, the rehab and the ice and the going down the beach at night and jumping on a bike at night and all that sort of thing started from the, the moment the game started. So mm. that couldn't be done for, um, yeah, only a few, a few, you know, 12 weeks or sort of to get me through. So, yeah. And I was, prob- I was just interested in 
and getting on and doing other things. Yeah. One of those other things has been uh, in the wine business, yeah. which we'll get into in a moment. But before we do that, uh, you had a couple of um, different roles in the coaching setup uh, at, at Frio, principally, um, I suppose, just after playing as a um, part of the coaching staff, working with the midfield. Yep, uh, development while, coach as well. While Jared was, yes. was still there. Yep. Um, did you feel comfortable there and feel like, you know, being part of a, of a coaching team might be a, a good long phase of your, your life post-playing? I, I did enjoy it, and it was kind of a new role, development coach, so working with the younger guys and also working with the, with, with the midfield. Yeah. Um, it was, I guess the difficulty was that Jared was under immense pressure. He yeah. was given a one-year contract. Can you believe that? An extension of one year. So, mm. so it was kind of a, you know, was, you know, he was dead man walking really. Mm. And when the team wasn't going so great, um, in that 1998 season, it was just, uh, it was very difficult. Yeah. So it was a, um, he, you know, he was fantastic to work with and, um, kind of develop my own things that I want to work with the players with and. It was something that I was passionate about, but again, that that toll of that year sort of, um, uh, yeah, it was kind of enough in the end and I wanted to reach out and do some other stuff. Yeah. Um, You did come back for a a shortish stint, about half a season or so as the caretaker coach at the end of what was a pretty disastrous time for Damien Drum uh, as the coach. I think they'd lost 11 on the trot or something, hadn't they? Or there was a few something there. like that. Yeah, I was and then part you... of the 11 on Drummy was... No, it oh, was, was it? the end of his oh, tenure, was I think, it? Yeah. wasn't it? No, oh. then you came in, made it very clear, though, that you you were not interested in taking it on in a more permanent capacity. Yeah. Um, was that so that there wasn't, you know, a distraction at the time, so there wasn't constantly this questioning over, oh, you're going to, you've proven yourself for a longer stint here, you just wanted to clear the air and just make it absolutely known that you were just there to hold the reins for the rest of that season? Yeah, that, that was basically it. I mean, yeah. I, I think the club had got to a point where, you know, 2001 had been in there for a long enough period, mm. enough's enough, really wanted to get the best coach humanly possible from anywhere. Mm. And if you've got a caretaker coach in there, I mean, it wouldn't. I don't think the caretaker coach would do it for, you know, for that extended period of time now because... Most of them that take it on kind of want guarantees that they're going to be considered seriously for the for the main role, and I can understand that. But the, I think the way where Frio was at that point in time, they needed to, you know, not having anyone um, uh, doing it as a you know a job interview. They wanted to, to work alongside, but also just you know, go, go everywhere to you know try and find the best coach. So mm. that that was the only way I thought it it could be done. Allow the CEO and the board to to get together mm. and get a as good a coach as they could. Did you enjoy it though? Were you ever tempted uh, to go? You know what? I wouldn't mind having a crack at this. Probably in the not. Term. When you know Brett Ratton smashed us at Princess Park, and then Matthew Richardson did something miraculous at Subi Oval, I had a an answer for every uh, every every loss. But but then you get a, a scenario where uh, this young team beat Hawthorne at Docklands. Justin Longmuir, by the way, kicked five goals in that game, and Peter Bell kicked had thirty eight disposals, I think, and. And you just saw um, there was some real uh, uh, energy and talent in the group. Mm. Um, and then the final home and away season, and Hawthorne were in the finals that year, and mm. Adelaide were as well. And this young team beat uh, Adelaide final. So there was absolute talent there. Mm. Um, it, it was just when I walked in the door, they were just bereft of any confidence whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, in high, they were, Embarrassed to walk down to the corner store to get a carton of milk. It was so, right? sort of that low. With, yeah. It was so all-encompassing the the scrutiny that, that that they were under. So it was 
really it was, wasn't much coaching. It was about trying to enable them to show how good these young players were. Mm. Um, so it, it was difficult. Did it sap my energy of coaching? Probably a little bit because I, you know, having a youngish family, um, it's 24-7 and there's absolutely no reprieve, even for someone, me sort of coming in last minute um, as a caretaker. So you've got to be fully committed and I can understand why um, even though uh, a coach may be successful, like Paul Roos, for example, he's been absolutely sensational, but he steps aside and he understands that it's an all-encompassing job. Yep. Um, You stepping aside uh, from footy meant uh, more time uh, in the family wine business. Uh, Just tell us quickly what you do there. Uh, What do I do there? (laughs) Some people would say not much, I've got to say. (laughs) Well, we've got a family vineyard, Rosalie Vineyard. Hopefully a bit of quality control. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, you've got a taste, but you've got to do it responsibly. And a lot of spitting goes on. So I'm involved in a distribution company that represents our family vineyard, Rosalie Vineyard. And I've been doing that for, yeah, the last 23 years. So I've got some cornflakes on the table that way for the kids. Yep. growing up. So it's been good fun. And that's the challenge, I think, for all players of having an interest, having a passion that they can step into once they've finished because, you know, and I'm just thankful that I've had that um, that, that opportunity, that ability to step into something mm. that I'm really, really interested in. Um, but I, that's what, you know, when you hear a 29-year-old getting interviewed and it could be a good player by 150 games, I say, well, the question is, what are you going to do for the next part of your life and the 29-year-old says, I'm not sure, I'll have to have a couple of months to think about it. That mm. for me absolutely staggers me because they've mm. got, you know, nine years to work on themselves and work out what they want to do and they should be slipping into their next phases, um, yeah. you know, nice and easily. But unfortunately, it's not, doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. Uh, you're a family man, of course, as well, and your, uh, your kids are quite into uh, footy as well. Um, they fact, think I, I know saying, nothing. They about think you know nothing? Nothing. Wow. And my fantasy team <laughs> reflects that. Yeah, actually. right. <laughs> Maybe they've got good reason <laughs> exactly. to think that now. Um, you must be proud, though, to see them, you know, carry on the Allen name. Um, I know it's, uh, Ed is the the older one, is that right? Uh, Ed's, was, the youngest, so he, Ed's the youngest. Ed's the youngest, He played a few Colts games last year, so he's, yeah. he's going okay. Yeah. The others... Um, is it Lincoln. Yeah. Link's involved in uh, with young Chris here and doing a bit of uh, media stuff, so yep. he's uh, just moved back to Melbourne. Yep. And Nick's uh, the eldest; he's working in uh, player management, player management in Perth as well. Yeah. So, so they've got the footy bug. They have got it, I, I, and I guess that's the, the what I've tried to instil in that footy is there is the playing part, but there are so many more elements yeah. to the game. There's media, there's doctors, there's physios, there's trainers, there's you know it's it is an industry amongst itself and we all can't be, you know, out on the field, but mm. you can still have a an interest in what is a what is a great game. So yep. um yeah, I actually first heard that uh Kevin Sheedy talk about that when he came over a couple of times for the Ben Allen footy camps that we used to mm. we used to run. And he used to talk about that had these eight to thirteen year olds enthralled for an hour and most of it was about how you can get a job in the footy industry. So I've tried to Pinch, pinch. It wasn't my idea. I, I plagiarised Kevin Shetty from 25 years ago. But not a bad person to uh, to take from. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the kids have listened, so that's a win. Too. They, they're enjoying themselves. Yeah. Um, ben, just finally, um, the Dockers for 2022. Good season. 
Yeah, I, I think I think we're we're confident. Um, we're really. I, I think JL's got everyone on board, which is which is fantastic. And I, I think for me, they are playing a more team orientated game. So I think mm. we've got a, an exciting year ahead. Very good. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Thanks, Tim. I've enjoyed it, mate. Good on you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.